2: There you go. That was good. Yes. Stomps,
1: stomps, stomps.
3: <laughs> you are listening to the burrows of Berea. <clears throat> noty, no
2: no, 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 no notes, no no, no notes no, 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 from the underground.
1: Welcome back to Notes from the Underground. This is a podcast where we take a microscope, microscope to uh, some of the Bible's more thornier topics. Oh, take the microco. Take the microcope. <laughs> yeah. I'm your host, Tiziana Mom's So Hard it's a Verse. To my right, we've got uh, Rick, the Pod Father Welch. Hey, how do you
0: mom so hard today? How do my
1: mom so hard today? Oh man, I hadn't thought about that. Ah, how you do you mom what? so hard? Eat chocolate for breakfast. I don't care.
2: <laughs> Mom's good.
1: You know what? Mom's you know, so.
2: <laughs> you know, she's momming so hard today. <laughs> yeah, doing this Bible study while watching a baby monitor. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> and the baby is sleeping
0: only for moments.
1: Yeah, that's that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, how I mom so hard today eat eat whatever you want for breakfast. I don't have time
2: for this. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's real mom stuff that right is, there. That's mommy that's real, mom real hard.
1: Stuff. Yeah. Behind the glass, Rocket Man Andy Bishop. <laughs> and visiting us from Long Island, we have Pastor Mike Miano.
3: Yes, thank you for inviting me to be here. It's good to be in the presence of miracles.
1: Oh, that's that's sweet, hey. presence of miracles. I love
3: that. You're exactly right.
1: Yeah. So we're going to pick up where we left off in our study of Ruth. Um, one of the things that we had talked about was, the, was before we jump in, because we are still in Ruth chapter one. We spent a whole podcast barely getting through. Yeah, but you gave <laughs> like him a lot of good information. Verses. Yeah, well, you got a lot of background. You got to
0: know who Moab is. Yeah, you got to know you, how You got to
1: understand what's going on here because you got to understand the larger picture of what God is doing and the larger, you know, generations-long story of the redemption of mankind that was God's Whole goal from the beginning, and so you got to understand the the sort of animosity that existed, and like the history of who these people are, because then only then can you understand the miraculous love of God that wants to redeem even them.
2: Mm -hmm. You kept my attention, and my brain is a squirrel. Oh, so that's always a good. Well, hey, (laughs) yeah,
1: okay, that's that's pretty good, good, actually. Yeah.
2: All right. So yeah, Rick knows. So his brain is actually a cat (laughs) (laughs) chasing a squirrel.
0: (laughs) Good stuff.
1: My brain is scrambled eggs at this point, but you know. Anyway, that's why I keep jumping around and forgetting where I'm at and having to go back to my notes and this and and this and that and whatnot. You're doing and other. wonderfully. Yeah. All right. Well. You are. Thanks. Okay. So picking up where we left off, we are just now. Um, getting into the meat of the story. We have this man, Elimelech, and his wife, Naomi, and their two sons. There's a famine in their own land. So they go to Moab, who is a neighboring nation, who has all this historical beef with Israel, but they do it anyway. And then they do the unthinkable. They marry Moabite women, which was um, a prescription in Deuteronomy against that they ignored. And um, they also did it without their parents' consent, which was also hugely, like, problematic in the the way that Israel did things. So we've got all these, like, problematic characters. Um, and then, of course, all of the dudes die. So Elimelech, yeah. Pfft. Mahon, Pfft. Jillian, Pfft. all dead.
0: <laughs> Managed to get some fart sounds and, into this um, part, too. Huh? And now,
1: and now, Naomi is left with this. So we have um, Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem. I, I've got the NIV version loaded up, and I don't even know why, because I don't love that.
3: The newly nope. inspired version.
1: Just And not, not, whatever you read is how you read it. And I'm not here to comment on that. (laughs) You know, you do you, you do you, butterfly. But I'm going to move down. I'm trying to find the, I like the new revised version. So, all right. So now we're here at Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem, verse six. Anybody want to read? Yeah, take it over, Mike. Yeah, he's got such a good reading voice. I know, it's great.
3: Then she arose with her daughters-in-law. That she might return to the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. Mm-hmm. And where would you like me to read to?
1: Um, let's read the rest. Let's read all the way down to like um, t- like 22 even. Okay. Because that's when they actually, they you know, so they return.
3: So she departed from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her, two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you. To her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go. For I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you. For the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts, me from you, parts you from me. Excuse me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came about when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned and with her Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter in law who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Mm.
1: Let's give them something to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so here we have Ruth and Naomi. Naomi's returning home. She left with a husband and with kids, and she's coming back with nothing but a Moabite, which is something that gets brought up consistently. Mm -hmm. Israel is never, in the history of the story, from here on out, able to separate her from her Moabite identity. Which is interesting because there's a lot of theories wrapped in and around Ruth in regard to that beautiful sentiment where you go, I will go, where you die, I will die, where you lodge, I will lodge. May death, you know, may God deal with me be it ever so severely, if anything, but death separates us. Interestingly enough, that's one of the most popular verses to have in a marriage.
0: Yeah, we need to Ceremony. say this. I'm going to go ahead and say this out loud. If you hear babies crying. Okay.
1: This episode has been rife with fart sounds, and yeah. that's what's going on. She's just tooting it up over there. <laughs> Literally, that's what's happening. Because now that now that I can smell the fart, and then she got chill. So that's what's going on.
0: She's but, breaking it down.
1: Yeah, but so back back to back to what we were talking about. So there are two to the two things that show up in in weddings most often, right? And, and Mike, you might I don't know if you do weddings as part <laughs> of your pastorate, right? It's that passage from Ruth and the passage from Corinthians. Love is patient. Love is kind. Right. Neither of those were written in the context of a romantic relationship. So it's fascinating that what we're seeing here, this declaration of undying faithfulness and love, is between a woman and her mother-in-law. Yeah. Once again, not historically the relationship that you find, that level of undying devotion. Mm-hmm. So it's really beautiful. So here comes Naomi home with her head hung and her tail between her legs. She left with my goddess king— And returns back with bitterness.
0: Bitterness, yeah.
1: And so here she is, and it's significant, and she comes back at the time of the barley harvest, which also is interesting because she leaves in a time of famine Mm -hmm. with a husband and two kids, but she returns in the time of harvest with nothing but a Moabite. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Which is interesting. So she leaves in famine with plenty, but returns when there's plenty with nothing. (laughs) Hmm. except for a Moabite, which, like I said earlier, was the equivalent of coming home with an STD. A a Moabite's a, you know, they're- you know, we've already read the history between them. You know, like that's they're like the untouchables.
2: Well, it's interesting. There's less mouths to feed, but there's more yeah. food to do it with. All of a sudden, you're like, it's a, yeah, that's a weird loss.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that that's kind of constantly happening is this attempt to square the fact that she comes back with this Moabite, and this Moabite is now part of uh, the the history of of Israel. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know, and and that's. Like we've discussed a number of times, when there's a rule and then that rule is broken, there's this desire to find some way to make her fit in to the rule. Like she wasn't really breaking the rule. Uh, And that's where we talk about her making this declaration of faith to Naomi was that her conversion moment. And I don't think it was because they continue to refer to her as a Moabite. How do we square that, this idea that she was a Moabite, but she was and now now being married into and now coming home to live in the land of Israel as an Israelite and I don't know that we're I don't know that we're meant to I think we're we're meant to understand like you were saying like you were saying Mike earlier that God's playing a long game here and he gives these rules and laws and regulations because Israel's not mature enough to understand the long game so God says just don't marry them but eventually, the idea is to include them in the fold completely. So it's almost as if Ruth's Moabite status is a foreshadowing mm-hmm. of the work that God intends to do. So she is a breaking the law.
0: She yeah. is. and there's this. There's also we have to remember that God did accept aliens into, you know, their faith. Like He allowed that to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and if if they if she said your God is my God, then that was the acceptable thing for them to bring them in. That, that's what was. Required, mm-hmm. she doesn't cease
3: to be a Moabitis. right? Though, and that's yeah. why I believe the text keeps reminding us that she's a Moabitess, that mm-hmm. you know that that's her identity. Yeah. She didn't become a Jew, yeah, you know, or well, of she,
1: Israel for that matter. Which again, you know, if we think of this as a foreshadowing, Gentiles don't become Jews. Mm-hmm. Right? Gentiles simply become part of the fold. Yeah. So she. So so so. All right. So let's get. Let's jump into to Ruth chapter two. Um,
0: Jews no longer can be Jews.
3: That's right. There's neither Jew nor There's Gentile. There's
0: neither Jew nor Jew, nor Greek, right? Bond nor free, male nor female. It, that's what happens. Like it that's becomes right. genderless. It becomes raceless. It becomes everything later on
1: in terms of your identity and how you self-identify. Yeah, right? it, but yeah.
0: according to the New Testament, mm-hmm. that this new covenant, you, you, all of that changes. So a Jew is no longer anything. A right. Gentile There's no, no more
1: distinctions. No more. All are welcome. And and this is almost that kind the of the like only distinction is
0: that you are a child of God because you are a co heir because Christ made that available to you.
1: Yeah, I just find it so fascinating that the, even even the the writers of this book, whether it was Samuel, whether it was you know scribes in exile, they just they can't let go of her identity as a Moabite. It's important that she retain that, you know. And and so I think that that's that's interesting and it's like somehow key to the to the story both in the book of ruth and in its historical context but and then also for us.
0: Well, it links it, it actually today. links very well in my mind mm-hmm. because it kind of goes along with our study about the mystery of God. I mean there were certain things that were not revealed even to Israel uh, until the time of Paul. Mm-hmm. in regard to this you know it was like this secret this mystery that was that wasn't revealed till much later that because if they had known what christ was going to do they would have never crucified him because then they would have no longer been the special people that they were right mm-hmm. so that was that was withheld so mm-hmm. it makes sense that back in Ancient times, whenever they're writing these books, that they're holding very closely to this promise and this race and who they are. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, They don't mm -hmm. know.
0: They haven't been. It hasn't been revealed to them. Yeah. Yes, there's times when Isaiah says like a light unto the Gentiles and all that, but they they see it in a different way than we see it. They yeah st- they
1: still see it as national conquest,
0: yeah. yeah. oh, yeah. yeah, we're we're the beacon on the hill. We right. are the light that they're going to see, right. but mm-hmm. they, they didn't understand what that actually meant. And so it makes sense that whoever wrote this book and Ruth is going to hold to that she's a moabitis. Let's not forget that
1: yeah. and which is why we're also talking about the context of intimacy. Mm-hmm. you know, like this is this is this relationship that that Ruth has. With Naomi, it's very intimate. They're living together. She makes this grand declaration of love for her. It's not um, just we have conquered you and you are now allowed to be a part of us. It's the intimacy. Yeah. It's the intimacy, which is the deep heart of God. The intimacy with all peoples. Mm, you it's know? good, yeah. Yeah. All right, so she's returning. Now Naomi comes back home, head hung low. Everybody in town talking about her behind her back, probably not to her face. To her face, they're like, oh, bless your heart. Welcome home. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, oh, did you lose everything? That's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah, you know, who's that you got there? Her name Ruth. You know? Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of chatter likely happening. Who
0: needs an enemy when you've got friends?
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, <sighs> right. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, so so we pick up in uh, in in chapter two, um, and I'm just going to continue to ask Mike yeah, to read because it's so good. Okay, you. go ahead. How we much like me to read to starting chapter two, and let's read let's read um, let's read to four. Verse 4? Yeah.
3: Okay. Or chapter 4?
1: <laughs> yeah, verse 4, yeah.
3: <laughs> now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitus said to Naomi, "'Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after one in whose sight I may find favor.' And she said to her, "'Go, my daughter.' So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, "May the Lord be with you." And they said to him, "May the Lord bless you."
1: So this is also interesting cuz Naomi's like, "Okay, we got or Ruth's like, "Okay, we got to eat." We're here now. Like I'm gonna roll up my sleeves and get to work. Mm-hmm. Let me go somewhere where I should find favor. She shouldn't even had to say that, because way back in Leviticus, it was commanded of the Israelites to leave when they're when they're they're harvesting their field to leave the gleanings behind for the alien and the widow. Mm-hmm. So again, the judges being a time where a man did what he said. Throughout the book of Judges, we see this, this, this up and down, this kind of—these two consistent refrains, one in that they begun to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and then they just begun to do what was right in their own eyes, right? So this is clearly at a period of time where they'd begun to do what was right in their own eyes. So this was a dangerous, lawless place because in Leviticus—let's just read it. I'll read it. Leviticus 19, 9, 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field, Or farther the gleaning of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Mm -hmm. So God had already commanded Israel to live in this way. And yet here is Ruth saying, where can I find safety? Who's going to be safe? She shouldn't have had to ask that. So we already are painting a picture of the period of time within the period of the judges that the story is taking place.
0: Scary place. Well, I'm just really curious, though, when you bring it up that way, because to me, it seems like it's the opposite, and mm-hmm. this is just my—it seems like it's in place because Ruth knows to go do it. I don't know if Naomi told Ruth that this was how the Israelites were commanded in the past, and so there would be something to glean because she's mm-hmm. heading out to glean, so she knows it. I don't know if the Moabites do this. This seems to be a command of God to the to the Levites, or in Leviticus a uh, command to the Israelites on how to do it. So it seems like Ruth knows that she can go do this.
1: Ruth knows she can do this, but I think this is a common practice. Because this is not you know Not
0: just to the Israelites? I
1: don't think it belonged no. And now okay. now now I'm not an um I have not researched this particular historical perspective. But Jesus says the poor you will always have with you because the destitute, the poor, the infirm, the elderly, they've always existed throughout the history of humanity and they've always I mean, they, that's at, the, at that period of time in your life, you're you're scrounging. Mm-hmm. You, you can't harvest a field and you aren't part of a big family. So I don't think it was that uncommon for any place where there was um, agriculture, which was quite a few. Agriculture had risen up. Agriculture arose like almost first and independently of any other um, influence in the Levant, which is this Fertile mm-hmm. Crescent area. It also arose independently in China. But- Farming and agriculture arose at this particular part of the world a long time ago. So likely when the Israelites entered into this land from Egypt where they had been in slavery, they probably picked up farming from them. Yeah, I mean. And and for God to say in Leviticus to separate the way, because a lot of those Levitical laws, we've talked about this. It's how do you live in a culture that God is dictating versus a culture that you're— Flesh is dictating.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Okay.
1: So God is is a lot of those, a lot of the rules and laws in Leviticus are just how you treat one another, how you establish a culture. And one of the ways that God is beginning laying at the foundation of Israel's culture is leave gleanings on purpose. Mm-hmm. They're gonna fall out naturally. You know, but leave some on purpose. Yeah, and this also Leviticus is also where we find the commandments and the laws about uh, the seventh year being a sabbatical year and the fiftieth year being year of jubilee. Within the context of of these same Levitical laws, Jesus God also Jesus God also says, "I want you to on the seventh year let your land lie fallow and don't harvest and don't plant and don't anything because I just want you to trust me that I'm going to take care of you." And then in the fiftieth year, the grand jubilee. Not only do you let the land lie fallow, slaves go home. Any land that you purchased from your brother gets, re- you know, gets returned to that brother because God's trying to set up an economy and a society that's not based on those capitalist ideals of "I, the most, the, the more you have, the more you should have." Yeah, God is creating a society that has more equitable treatment of one another by saying even when you, even when your brother is destitute and sells you his family land at the grand jubilee, give it back. It's not yours. It was yours to borrow. Just like everything is, I've given you to borrow. It's really mine. You know, this is a this is a relationship. And it, all le-
0: and it always leads back to him. Yeah. Like it, they, as a group, they're following what God says. But in the end, you know, the end game again, being a religious story, is that it's a relationship between God and His people, and this people, how they're going to respond to Him. So, mm-hmm. if in this case of gleaning, the Maybe they did pick it up from other people or whatever, but in this case, it seems that Ruth is very much aware. And it's not Naomi that's saying, Let me go out and get the food. It's Ruth that's serving her, you know, her mother in law. I don't know where that came from, but she's, this is in Ruth's heart. So she's Mm -hmm. doing this, you know, and so she's going, she's putting herself, uh, she's not, she's a stranger. Yeah and it's for the it's for them, right? Mm-hmm. It's for the alien and for the stranger. That's what the gleaning is for. Yeah. So she knows the rule. Well,
1: she lives there with Naomi. So Naomi's like, "Go ahead and go out into a field." But 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 let's continue reading cuz I cuz I think that even more of that will come through. Yeah. Um because we have verse 5. Um Mike, would you want to pick up with verse 5? Sure. You yeah. want me to read to Let's read to all the way down to 10.
3: Then Boaz said to his servant, who is in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant in charge of the reapers answered and said, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Okay. Then she felt. Like, yeah, we stop sorry.
1: There? Yeah, and so Boaz also number one was like, "Okay, you are vulnerable. Don't go anywhere else." Yeah, he shouldn't have had to say that. Because all gleanings of all fields had already been commanded by the Lord your God. Okay,
0: now I see what you mean about being in the time of judges. I Yeah, get it.
1: yeah, yeah. yeah I get Number it two, he had to tell his own bros to not lay a hand on her. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he meant smack her around. No, we know what it meant. He had to tell all of his own men, be good to this one. Don't harm her, which means they had a reputation for harming.
0: Yeah, well, and you can hear it in the servant's voice. Number one, yeah. the servant knew, so that means people have been talking about him. Right. And did I—I I said number one. Yeah, mm-hmm. number one. Number two, uh, Boaz picks up on that. He, mm-hmm. he immediately picks up on how his servant <laughs> responds. Right. You see what I mean? Yes. So he goes to the source, like, okay, I'm going to bypass all this hubbub yeah. and go straight to the source. Talk right. to the girl.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so—and and, and again, you know, they know that she's with Naomi, Um, you know, so they're kind of like familiar that she has some attachment to one of their kin, you know, but the fact that Boaz has to like outline this, this is, he's like, look, you're not from here. Yep. I don't know how you landed in this field because we're going to find out later. Naomi didn't know how she landed in that field either. It was just the providence of God. Mm -hmm. So she, when she said, let me go see who I can find favor. She, we don't know if Boaz is the first field she found. She Mm -hmm. might've been chased out of other fields before she landed on one, where at least a handful of his guys were like, all right, fine, you're you're good. We don't know how she got to that field. She said, let me just go out and see where I can find favor.
0: The thing that really stuck out to me is Boaz called her the word daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, not really the word, but a descriptor. Daughter, does it mean young woman, young maiden, or does it mean the way that we would see daughter? Like, mm-hmm. interesting. There's was some the debate about daughter that. Daughter of kin, you know, I get it's kin. kin. Yeah. Two, by by default, she was married into the family, so she is kin technically. But anyway,
1: so one one there's been some debate about that actually, Does and there? yeah, because some people think that it's a reference specifically to his age, that Boaz wasn't was much uh, older than Ruth. Yeah, so some people have said it might have been denoting their familial bond, and some people think it's just a, a standard term. Like for example, in Hawaii, mm-hmm. um, where I I grew up in Hawaii, went moved there when I was 15 and lived there as I was 19. So, um, in Hawaii, you call all of the elders in your life auntie and uncle. So, like when I was in school, when I would go to the, um, like when I would go to like the, the cafeteria, you know, you here in the United States you call someone Mister Cooper, but over there it was Uncle Carl you call yeah, somebody Pearl. auntie and uncle yeah instead of saying mr and mrs the way that you denoted respect for an elder was auntie and uncle
2: that's that's kind of uh that's kind of asian actually
1: okay yeah, yeah. see so, the, so there's also sort of this kind of like cultural concept of when you when you call someone auntie and uncle you're denoting respect and you're also acknowledging their age you know so you know auntie and uncle so it's possible that that the the term daughter was specifically only in reference to their age group, their age gap, you know, mm-hmm. and he was ref- he was recognizing that she was younger than him, um also potentially vulnerable because she was much younger than him. It's possible that he was saying I see you young thing needing needing protection and it's okay my daughter. It's possible.
0: I looked at it, so in the Hebrew word uh in my Strong's concordance mm-hmm. it's H1323 and the uh-huh. transliteration is bath. Bath. We pronounce it bath. That's the word and it says uh feminine a, a daughter used in the same wide sense as other terms of relationship literally and figuratively like apple of the eye mm-hmm. branch company daughter by relation so it's relationship so he sees you know a, the word itself its meaning you know is seen as familial mm-hmm. it looks like
1: mm-hmm.
0: so anyway yeah I, and they can debate it but it just seems like it was as familial to him like and we get to learn a lot about Boaz Boaz was a pretty righteous dude
1: yeah 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 well and yeah so so he gives her this particular you know commandment to stay close and then um let's pick up with uh with 10 and let's let's see we might as well go ahead and read all the way down to 23 10 to 23 because that's that'll be good
3: yeah reads like a full story
1: yeah exactly okay
3: then she fell on her face. Bowing to the ground and said to him, "'Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner?' And Boaz answered and said to her, "'All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and your wages be full from the Lord.' And the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. And also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left and after she was satisfied. Her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man whom I work today with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth in the the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go with with his maids, lest others fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law.
1: All right. There's so much in this. There is. There's so much. Let's talk it through. Let's talk it. So starting from the top, first of all, Boaz was to invite this foreigner who was supposed to be gleaning the leftovers, which is is for the poor, the destitute, the refugee, for him to invite her to come sit with him and dip her bread in his vinegar. Mm -hmm. Listen, y'all, I do not invite anybody to dip their food in my dip. Yep. Right. We don't double dip around here. You keep your (laughs) salsa to yourself. I'm gonna keep my salsa to myself. It is intimate.
0: Remind me not to go to one of her Super Bowl parties.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. No, I'll just dish out on my own, like mm. this is a conversation, but this is a conversation lots of people have. Like there are those people that will take a bite of your sandwich when they can still see your tooth marks in it. And you know what I'm saying? And there are people that will not. Like I don't share mm -mm. There's some
0: intimacy to this.
1: There's an intimacy here. Yeah. And so the fact that he so he invites her to come sit and dip his her <laughs> bread in his wine. They must have chatted at length too. He yeah. must have asked her questions. He must have investigated. Because again, this woman, we're talking about a period of time where a woman without a man is extraordinarily vulnerable. Mm-hmm. A woman without a man is extraordinarily vulnerable. And Naomi was that person. And in so she's without a man. And so what does Ruth do? Ruth takes up the mantle and by proxy steps in to be her protector. Even though, it's, she, even though once Naomi dies, it's going to leave Ruth vulnerable. That's right. Because what, is, what did Naomi say? What? What, I got kids up in here that I'm going to give birth to and give you another husband? I have no opportunity to offer you another man. Mm-hmm. So when I die, what are you going to have? Go home to your families where you can find a man that will protect you. Yeah. So Ruth has taken this enormous mantle. Of the protection and the care of Naomi, who when she dies, Ruth, what will Ruth have?
0: Nothing. She'll Nothing. Be, yeah, she'll be worse off it than Naomi. It is the
1: ultimate sac- And she's in a strange land.
0: In a strange land. It is the...
1: I've oh got goosebumps all over my body. I just want to cry. It is the absolute ultimate sacrifice Yeah. that Ruth is making. And Boaz is floored by it. Yeah. He is like, what?
0: Yeah, who's this lady? Who
1: are you? Like, he's fascinated by her integrity, by her character... And by the Hebrew word that we've talked about, chesed, her loving faithfulness to Naomi, he is floored by it because it marks a woman of extreme character Mm -hmm. that she would do this. Even today, man. Even today? Even today, that's extreme character. That's extreme character. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so she. You can't even get your kids to come and hang out with you much these days. Much oh, less yeah. somebody that's just a, an in law going, yeah. you know, cleaving. and leaving, cleaving and leaving nothing for themselves. Yeah. yeah, how about that?
1: Yeah, so that's so that's interesting. And then Boaz does this other thing that's pretty cool. He's like, when you're gleaning, don't just leave the leftovers. Like pull some out of your bag. For yes. It, okay. Mm-hmm. Like leave her more than what she deserves. Leave her more, and don't insult her. Don't rebuke her. Don't reprimand her, which again speaks to the character of what would have been common behavior. They would have treated her like a thief. It's a thief that does that. Yeah. And he's saying, no, don't. Don't do that to her. Leave it for her on purpose, but like pretend like you don't see her taking it. Yeah. <laughs> don't embarrass her. Right. You know, that's huge. And then the third, now this is, and this is, I think, what we really need to talk about. So the most important part is she gets home and what is Naomi first word? Where you been today? Well,
0: and the reason why is because, do you know what, do you know what an efa a flower is? Like what, what what that means? Like how much that is?
1: I don't. Tell me. A cubic foot. Oh, that's of a food. good amount of
2: flour. Of, yeah. a, a
0: food. A cubic foot, sustenance. bro. That's like bringing home a sack of flour. Yeah. You're going to be eating for a while on that sack of flour. Yeah. That's pretty good Congrats for a day's work. A couple work. Of loaves
2: of bread can come out of
1: that. That's yeah. a day's
0: work. Wow, that was really yeah. good.
1: And, and she says, you know, blessed be the man who took notice of you. You know, where yep. did you work and who was this, who was field this was this man? Because yep. obviously it was a dude, right? Yeah. And, and so, but that also speaks to in the beginning, Ruth, when she said, let me go see whose field I can find favor in. She didn't know where she was going to wind up. And it's, I don't know. I don't. I sort of imagine that she spent some time trying to find a good field. You know, yeah, and it's also possible that she had done it the day before. It might be that every day she woke up and looked at Naomi, said, "I'll go see whose favor I can find today." This probably wasn't her first day in the field, is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. You know, they come back to their land, they get themselves established, and Ruth immediately starts looking for food. Yeah. She starts immediately going, "How can I provide for myself and for Naomi?"
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. Naomi doesn't go out in the field. No, nope. why? Either she's humiliated because she's in her hometown, or she's too old and infirm because. Really, there's really no reason why Naomi couldn't have gone out too, but Naomi didn't. Yeah. Only Ruth did, which mm-hmm. is interesting. And also, maybe there was some sort of infirmity. Maybe uh, Naomi you was, was lame. He would definitely think she wasn't
0: capable because she would have been the person to go feed herself if her, if Ruth hadn't been there.
1: Yeah. So it's fascinating that Naomi didn't go out at all. Yeah. But Ruth did, and and again, I think it also speaks to but the potential social and cultural space that they were that Israel was in. It's possible that. Ruth would have been able to defend herself more,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because Ruth was younger and quicker on her feet. Naomi was older. She might have been more vulnerable to the abuses that Boaz is specifically telling his gentleman not to level against Ruth. Mm-hmm. So well, e- e- left and right, you just see Ruth being a bad bit just over and over, <laughs> you know? Like, yes. just, Just— so consistently. And so so she had no idea she lands in Boaz's field. This was not something that, you know, it's not like she went to that field because Naomi knew she'd be safe there. Mm-hmm. Naomi sent her out every day knowing she wasn't safe.
0: And it, and the author really wants you to understand, especially from Boaz's perspective, because Boaz tells her, you know, may the God of Israel bless you who's under your, whose wings you have sought refuge. Mm. Like, Boaz recognizes this is a place... You've, you've made it to a place of refuge. Well, you made and, it.
1: And Boaz is also, within a period of time that was potentially lawless, Boaz is is honoring, acknowledging the biblical law. Yep. Because, yep, that's a good point. Because Boaz's men, she'd been gleaning there all morning with without Boaz's knowledge, mm-hmm. right? She had taken rest in the hut during midday sun, so it was probably like noon, 11 o'clock noon. She'd probably been there since 6, 7 o'clock in the morning kind of thing. Yep. So she already had found favor in that field because Boaz, Boaz's men already knew that Boaz was a man who honored the law of God. Yes. So she says, so I was going to ask you to give us a, a little jump in on this one because what what Naomi is so struck by is the fact that the man that has been so such a blessing to them, the man that has given them so much, the man that— let her walk away with this abundance, is also a kinsman redeemer.
0: Yeah, but when he was reading it out of the NSB, it says a close relative.
1: Yeah, this one says guardian redeemer.
0: Yeah, it's a redeemer. That word is as a redeemer. I was going to go back and look at this word in the Strong's Concordance, Mm. which is in uh, verse 20. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: If you'll just give me a second, I'll get right to it. So, um, in the KJV, it says, the man is near of kin unto us, one of our next... Kinsman. So, let's break this down just a hair. H1350, it is gawal, a primitive root to redeem, according to the Oriental law of kinship, to be the next of kin, uh, and as such to buy back a relative's property, marry his widow. So, within their culture, mm-hmm. he has this special power. Mm -hmm. He is, he's not only a redeemer, but he's one of these close relatives Mm -hmm. that can help this woman who does not have access to property because she no longer has a husband. Mm -hmm. This man has that unique relation to her. Yeah. That's important to Naomi to know that.
1: Yeah. And And Ruth has
0: happened. I did that in air quotes, mm -hmm. happened upon this special field with this special person. It seems like Providence all the way through, right?
1: Right. Which is again, one of those things that goes back to is the story, is the story completely factual, given the fact that the names of the characters in the story are, are
2: a part of the narrative, the part
1: of the narrative. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that happens again. You see that with Boaz, you see that, you see that later on. We'll, we'll get into that yeah, too later on. Yep. But like, is that, is that factual in that regard? Or is it, is it a larger story that's kind of been condensed and told in this certain way to demonstrate something? Mm-hmm. I don't think it, for me, it doesn't matter. The story hits me the same, whether it's 100% accurate or whether or not it was an accident. Like, You know, it doesn't matter to me. See,
0: I think that's the point that we've all come to. mm -hmm. Uh, No matter what we do, we hear all of this stuff, but it attests to our spirit. We see what's going on. Mm -hmm. Like we, we even if we just stay in the story itself, outside of everything you know about the rest of the Bible, Mm -hmm. this is a beautiful story.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's
0: a wonderful story, and it just surrounds itself around the God of Israel.
1: Yeah, and whether or not Naomi, whether or not so Ruth happens upon this. This field, Naomi didn't know whose field it was going to be for the day. Like either way, it's like this coincidental, spirit guided, beautiful moment. Yeah, you know that. I mean, that I personally have had a thousand of.
0: Yeah, that's why I use the word providence. Yeah, it, it, I, I air quoted happened upon. Yeah. Let's just be real. I mean, she was
1: guided by the spirit of God.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: to be a part of the story. Yeah, to be counted in. And and so and so. But Naomi also this moment where Naomi realizes that he is this special. So there is also something to be said about the relationship of and the concept of the kinsman redeemer within the nation of Israel. So that was one of the rules and laws, again, in Leviticus that are being demonstrated is when a man died and he had not been able to, his wife had not been able to provide heirs, it was the the next brother's responsibility or a close, it was, the law itself is actually the brother, right? Mm-hmm. It's your brother that's supposed to marry that woman and per- the firstborn child actually carries the name of the dead brother and the inheritance of the dead brother goes to that child so that that name is not wiped clean. That genealogy is not wiped clean from the face of, the, of mankind. Mm-hmm. But then again, this happens in the Talmud and when they're discussing Ruth, they're like, well, what if there was no brothers? And how? so the concept of kinsman redeemer was supposed to be your brother. That was what the law said. Yeah. But if there was no brothers, how did it work out? And so it ended up becoming sort of a larger concept. But at that same time, what you said, you're correct. Land and land ownership, Got dicey, yeah, because it was if it was your brother who was giving birth, you know, who who gave your your widow a son, and mm-hmm. that the land stayed the land technically stayed in the family. That's right, like the immediate family. But there was lots of beef about that. Like and what had was going to be gonna a happen?
0: It had to be a boy. It had to
1: be a boy. But what also was going to ha- and that's why there's um there's a oh man, my brain's not going to dig it out. There's this period of time where this one man only had, and this is in Joshua. Mm-hmm. This man only had daughters and they fought for their right to retain their father's land and they leaned on this law. They were like, "No, there is no kinsman redeemer for 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 our father's death. He didn't have sons. We and they petitioned and God said, "No, they're correct. Let those daughters keep their land." It's this very short story and I can't remember where it is in Joshua. Hmm, wow. So there is that's interesting too cuz it's like this the, again, the whole idea is land is sustenance. Land is 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 the opportunity to perpetuate your line you know, and make sure that your family line doesn't disappear. And so, I and mm-hmm. I think
0: I think Naomi is aware of this, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Because
0: Naomi, when when she's talking to Ruth, you know, yeah. she says, well, first of all, she thinks about her, her person when she's talking to Ruth, like, oh, wow, this guy's a kinsman redeemer. And mm-hmm. I, I hope I'm not stealing your thunder towards no. the end of this. No, not at all. So um, do you mind reading that verse 22 again? Sure.
3: And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids... Lest others fall upon you in another field.
0: That fall upon, mm-hmm. yeah, fall upon. That is that word is poga. It's a primitive root. It means violence.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we're r-worded. talking about,
0: yeah, you're going to
1: get r-worded if yeah. you're somewhere else.
0: Yeah, it could, yeah, it could be sexual violence. It could be absolute. You know, mm-hmm. she, she, they could just beat her or do whatever. Yeah. And so Ruth is like, you know, pretty much out there helpless. Boaz is helping her. Yeah, but but Naomi's trying to point out like, hey, it's good. That he's gonna let you stay with his maidens because then you're not gonna get assaulted. Yeah. So that's a good move.
1: Yeah. But then but then she goes, but it's Boaz. He's a near relative redeemer. And immediately Naomi's little wheels start turning. Exactly. Because remember what she said when they were back in Moab. Mm-hmm. She was like, What I'm gonna do? have babies for you. She says, I love it. It's so funny. She's like, even if I got married, even if there was a w- baby in my womb right now, that's yep. what she says. Even if I was pregs right this absolute wait? second, what are you going to wait for that kid <laughs> to get old enough? You know? Right. Yeah. Which is also interesting because that is the story of Perez and Tamar. Mm-hmm. Which is referenced in the end of the line? Of what happened in that story? Tamar married a man; he died. She married the next man; he died. There was still no heirs. Now she's got two dead husbands, and her husband, and the, the, her father-in-law, Perez, is like, "Whoa, I ain't giving any more kids to this woman. She's like cursed or whatnot. We ain't doing this." So his son, who was, he was young. He was like, probably he was not marriageable age, right? And so he was like, "We got to wait for this kid to get old." But what he did is he shipped him away because hmm. he did, he thought that Tamar was cursed. So then what happens when, when he gets to be this, the age that would be marriageable, Tamar comes and knock in and she's like, yo, give me my, give me my birthright. Give me, give me this kid. Give me this guy. I need to have some kids. Yeah. I need to have some kids for you, for your family. I got two dead husbands that I got to have kids for. And now I got a third, like give them to me. We got to get started. Yeah. And, and Tamar and Perez is like, he's kind of weird about it. And that's when she dresses up as a prostitute and he's traveling through and she gets pregnant by her father-in-law because she she sets herself up as a prostitute so that Perez will go in and he's on his way taking his sheep to be sold or whatever. And he like passes by a prostitute hut. I guess it's kind of like Burger King back in the day. I don't mm-hmm. know. He just is like, oh, I'm going to stop in here and have something to eat. Whatever. Can I, can I call it whore hut? Whore hut. Oh my gosh. Tamar sets up a little whore hut because how the heck did he know that, that you know, but she disguises herself. So he goes in and he's going to sleep with her. But he's like, he's like, well, but I don't have any money to pay you because I haven't sold my sheep yet and uh. And, uh, and she's like, well, that's fine. Just leave me your staff and your cloak or whatever. And then just come back and get them after you've got some money. And so he's like, okay, cool. So he goes and sells sheep. When he comes back, she's disappeared. The woman that he was supposed. To. So the cloak and the staff are gone. And so is the whore hut. So he's like, okay, whatever. So he just goes home. And um, when Tamar's comes up to be pregnant and starts to show, he gets all, all up in arms. And he's like... She done slept with somebody. And like, so the man that refused to give her her, the son to give the, the rightful son, you know, he's like, what? She didn't, man, 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 man. He stone her. what not. She had just gone out and getting laid by anybody, old buddy. So she's like, okay. She's so smart. She's like, okay, sounds good. But if you're going to do that, you should probably also murder the person who got me pregnant. Here's his cloak and his staff. Mic drop.
3: Boom. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> You know, if I might say I see a lot of prophetic pictures here. Like with Naomi, one thing that stands out to me is that Naomi seems to be the person that she's, you know, God is great when things are good, but the minute trial comes, she's, you know, call me bitter, you know, mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I see a picture there of Israel. I see a picture even with Perez and Tamar, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that there just seems to be a lot being said about Israel as a people. I'm, I really, I keep picking up on this prophetic imagery that I'm seeing throughout Ruth And even, you know, to add some uh, point to that, Ruth is only mentioned very limited in the New Testament, in Mm -hmm. the apostolic interpretation, where Ruth is just seen as a prophecy of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, I I just see a lot of prophetic notes happening in the imagery where Israel uh, oftentimes becomes a people where they don't see the sovereignty and the providence of God. They Mm -hmm. just, you know, when things are bad, they... Go from bad to worse. Right. Rather than being a people where again, I'm reading this story and I'm saying these people are supposed to, Naomi's supposed to know God. Yeah. You know, she's of the of the lineage of people that have been God has revealed himself to. Yet notice what's happening here. Ruth is the one who's no trusting in the sovereignty and the providence of God in a sense. Mm -hmm. Whereas Naomi's just, you know, call me bitter. Life is horrible.
0: And I want to tell you this, Andy, just because it's so wonderful. She just described. Tamar and Perez, that whole thing, that's in the line of Judah. Yes. This is previous generations to Ruth and Boaz and all of this. And here's the beauty of it. All of this crazy, whacked out Gentile stuff, this mess, this is the lineage of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. buddy.
1: And that's the thing, because the whole story with Perez and Tamar— First of all, that happened well before the law was delivered. Mm-hmm. That happened well before because the law didn't happen until later. And that story happens way back in Genesis. Yep. And so there must have been some kind of cultural precedent in nearby People, like there, That had to have been a known behavior. Mm-hmm. The, the, the idea that if a woman's husband dies before she has a chance to have heirs, then it's the responsibility of a brother to do that. That might have been something that they picked up on because that was all before the law existed.
3: Mm-hmm. There's definitely cultural ideas. I mean, Noah was told to separate clean and unclean
1: animals. Before there was the law, precisely. Yeah. So there was some kind of cultural knowledge that that's how you care for a woman. That's how you care for your family line. That's how you honor your fa- your brother, your pe- your slain brother, right? Like So there had to have been some kind of cultural knowledge, but it's interesting because in the lineage of Jesus Christ, we're talking about that happened twice. Yes. You know, so there's this consistent theme of the Redeemer redeeming a destitute woman. Yeah,
0: it is. I mean, as a
1: picture for the great and When you get to undying- Joshua, when you get to Joshua
0: yeah. before the judges, mm-hmm. you've still got Rahab or Rahab. That's also in the lineage. I mean, I'm telling you guys, like, it.
1: yeah. And she gets married. Beautiful. Her reward for that behavior is she gets um, married to an, an Israelite. She That's gets right. to be married. So she goes from being, you know, this woman who owns likely a brothel and probably a prostitute within that brothel. Mm-hmm. She gets she gets redeemed out of that. And that, She's known
2: forever as Rahab the harlot.
1: With, right. Which is one of the reasons Just why. Just like, like for Ruth is the Moabites.
2: Yeah. You build yeah. the biggest bridge in all of Scotland. <laughs> right. Do they call you Andy the Bridge Builder? No.
1: no. <laughs> right. But that's one of the reasons why it's important to to for me to say if you know people that are in sex work because the time for sex work being relegated to um traditional prostitution is over and we see sex work um in a lot of different iterations nowadays. You have people that have an OnlyFans page, you have people that do sugaring, you have people that do, you know, dancing, you have people that do BDSM, you have people that do all kinds of things in terms of like their sex work. And I think it's important if you have to remember that all of these women in these, quote-unquote, sexually compromised positions, that was part of their story. Mm-hmm. So don't be mindful yeah. of having judgment around people that are inside of these, um, in, outside of these kinds of relationships because you have no idea. You do not know the story of redemption that God is writing. Yeah. And you might be encountering that person in sex work while they're in the beginning of their story, you know, and you might also be encountering that person, you know, as they're doing the will of God in their life. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of those things that hits people really hard and in a difficult way. But it's important to remember, we've got plenty of examples where when we see the end of the story, we're like, oh, that's fine. When you meet somebody that's in the beginning of that story— you don't know what God's doing. You don't know how God's working things out in their life. Yeah. So, you know, and I am I'm I had a friend one time who was involved in some sex work, and, and I didn't know about it for a long time. And finally, one time we were sitting in the car together, and they started crying. They're like, I want to tell you something. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, this is what I'm end up to, and this is how I'm making the bills. But, you know, I don't feel ashamed about it, but I just didn't want to tell you. And I'm like, oh, okay, those two things don't live in the same house. That's right, yeah. <laughs> you know? But I realized that what this person was saying is that the economic and social conditions of their life put them in a position to be in sex work, and that was how they were surviving. Mm-hmm. And they were afraid—it makes me want to cry—they were afraid to, to tell me the truth of their whole story because they were afraid of my judgment as a Christian. That's, that's so sad. Yeah, yeah. That is we don't. So you're sad. right, because
0: we don't know, and that and that's the beauty of this. Like any God or when we see Christ in His ministry, when He comes upon anybody, whatever it might be. Remember, look at Peter. His name was Simon, yeah, or Shimon, and that means reed. And a reed is easily blown by the wind. Mm-hmm. And he, when he meets Peter, he's like, you know what? Your name is Simon. I'm going to call you Peter. Petra, rock. Mm-hmm. Whenever you meet Jesus or your God, He changes who you are. Yeah. And that regardless, like that, you meet that person that's in sex work. Yeah, they're in it right now. They are. Are you going to sit there and yell and be like, no, you shouldn't be, you need to be, you need to get, just shut your mouth. Just shut up. Just shut up. Yeah. And just meet them where they are. Yeah. And just tell them, like, like I would say, be like, hey, man. Let me t- um, let me tell you where I came from. Let me tell you what I've had, you know, yeah. and then and then also that person to engage. Maybe you don't have a way to help them financially to where you could help them. Maybe escape that life. Maybe they don't want to be in that life, but this is just all they have.
1: Or maybe they didn't want to escape it because they were learning something the, and they hadn't finished learning exactly. Yet. So whatever you that know, place may that be, that person didn't want me to rescue them. It's not up yeah. to
0: us to just point mm-hmm. out and say, oh, judge, judge, like just. Take a breath for a yeah. minute and just try to be, try to understand yes. this person is where they are in their walk. Yeah. But I can be something, I can be an encourager, I can be somebody that loves you to try, you know, to listen. I mean, who knows? You don't know. You yeah. don't know.
2: Yeah. I, th- I think this is pretty obvious given the context, but this is easily expanded out to a lot of other things. It's just, uh, we happen to be talking about sex work in particular, but yeah. you can just spread this concept out everywhere and it works right. just the same.
0: Yeah, it well, does. And, and Ruth, Ruth could have easily fell into that livelihood if it hadn't been for somebody like Boaz.
1: And I think this is a good place to stop for mm. the day because How about that? we're gonna get to just that in chapter three. Bam. We are gonna get right into that in chapter three. Yeah, that's so, a great place to end. Yeah, we're ending on this wonderful note of of Kinsman Redeemer um, and Naomi being floored by the fact that through the providence of God, Naomi Ruth has been gleaning, not only in the field of a man who is clearly a good man because he's protected her and his workers knew to protect her, sent her home with more than she should have had, but he also so happens to be the kinsman redeemer, which, as we've discussed, was a law established so that if someone died without heirs, the women in that family wouldn't be destitute and the land that that brother owned wouldn't get fallen off by the wayside.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Can I read Uh, It's kind of like a joke, but it's not. It's like... It's kind of like a modern day parable. Yeah. I would say. Okay. Can I share that? It's perfect for what we were just talking about. Okay. About judging a book by its cover or about their life. Okay. So uh this deacon board of a church are sitting around and they're going over some possible candidates for the pastorate of their church. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the lead deacon says, Brethren, listen, I've asked the church secretary to type up a brief description of 19 candidates applying as pastor here at our church. And we all understand the requirements, so let's just go through them and see if any of these candidates jump out at us, okay? So, the first one, uh, he's a good man, but he's got problems with his wife, and but they were both former nudists. Uh, the next one, he's a former pastor of several generations, but surprisingly, he never had a single convert, um, but he was prone also to building some unrealistic projects. The next guy... Um, Some references here reported possible wife swapping, but the facts seem to show that he never actually slept with another man's wife, but he did offer to share his own wife with another man. Then this next guy, he was a pretty big thinker, but he's kind of a braggart. He believes in dream interpreting, but he also has a prison record. (laughs) Uh, so the next so the the, the deacons are sitting here listening like oh man where did they find this list yeah so the next guy he's modest he's a meek man he's a a poor communicator he stutters Um, sometimes he really blows his stack he acts rashly and um, some say that he left because of a murder charge like oh man (laughs) so then the next guy's like well this the most promising leader we found except we discovered that he had an affair uh, with the neighbor's wife Mm. The next guy, he was a great preacher, um, but unfortunately, our parsonage could never hold all of his wives. Wow, they're like, geez, the list gets worse and worse. <laughs> this next guy's prone to depression. He collapses under pressure. The next guy, he's reported to have lived with a single widow. Uh, let's see. This guy, he's a tender and loving pastor, but some people couldn't handle his wife's occupation. Uh, ooh, this one's a female. Nope.
2: <laughs> right. yeah. Let's see here
0: Here's one who's emotionally unstable He's an alarmist negative Always lamenting things Reported to have taken a long trip To bury his underwear On the bank of a foreign river mm-hmm. hmm. This one he's really on the fringe Claims to have seen angels <laughs> <laughs> And he even has trouble with his own language uh, This guy refuses God's ministry uh, God tells him to go somewhere And he just doesn't do it But hmm. This guy uh, this next guy, uh, he's too backward, unpolished. Uh, he's got some seminary training. He might have promised, but he has a hang up against wealthy people. He <laughs> might fit in better with a poorer congregation. Uh, <laughs> this guy says he's a Baptist, uh, but definitely doesn't dress like one. <laughs> he slept in the outdoors for months on end, has a weird diet, provokes denominational leaders. Yeah, we can't have him. This no. guy, this, this next guy, he's too blue collar. He's got a bad temper. He's been known to curse. He's been known to curse at kids. This guy, this guy seems like more of a powerful CEO type leader. He's a fascinating preacher. He's short on tact. He's unforgiving with younger ministers. And he's harsh, and he's been known to preach all night to the point where you might fall asleep.
1: Oh, this next guy, he's
0: just too young. Move, move on. Done. Here's a good one. He's got really solid references. He's a steady plotter. He's conservative, he's got good connections, and he really knows how to handle money. The other deacons perked up, ooh, on that final candidate. The head deacon smiled and said, Gentlemen, you all need to read your Bibles.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So they were like, huh? Yeah, yeah. And he said, I just described to you Adam, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, uh-huh. Moses, David, Elijah, Elisha, Hosea, Deborah, mm-hmm. Jeremiah, Jonah, Amos, Peter, Paul, Timothy. And, and the Judas. last one was Judas.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So go
0: ahead and judge a book by your cover. Yeah, that's right. God uses things that you could have never imagined.
1: That's right. Oh, I love that. Isn't well, that that's a good story? Yeah that's,
2: yeah, that's neat.
1: Well, folks, we appreciate you hanging out with us and listening to us, and we'll see you next time on The Burrows of Berea.
2: Peace out. Woo.
0: Hey, guys, this is Rick from The Boroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. I see Boaz is Jesus, but I see... I see it's both yeah it's there's definitely both. obviously both I don't mean the I don't mean that in like a gender role I just mean it in as the kinsman redeemer I see him as both I see him redeeming his people Israel the nation at the time but I also see him later redeeming us all
1: and what's interesting just for myself because we we look we see Boaz as the redeemer because he's the male in the story yeah but it's Ruth's body it that is. produces the son that saves Naomi yeah and that's the thing that—and that's why, like, the fact that you just said Ruth is Jesus, I've never heard somebody say that before because I, I'm i so used to only reading the male characters as the yeah. type of Christ. Mm-hmm. I'm not used to reading the female characters as the type of Christ. So even my own brain, as a mm. feminist, still has patriarchy embedded in there so deeply that even I, as I'm reading this story, didn't even think to yeah. think of Ruth as the rescuer, the healer, and Ruth humbles herself and fall, you know, yeah. Sure. They, at this Good.
3: point, Naomi is that, that broken woman that needs hope. And Boaz is eventually going to come and bring hope to the whole group, which yeah. Jesus, you know. But again, he's a little aloof
0: about it, really. Boaz is kind of aloof to it at first.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just go down to the end of go the bed and yeah.
0: Or just actually go into the field. Yeah. And go clean up a little bit. Yeah. Do your thing in the field, you know.
3: That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. The men would come and and help her. And there was that whole yeah, yeah. narrative. Um, Yeah. I just, I think it's beautiful. And I see Naomi as this broken woman that needs hope. And then you see, again, I see a couple themes going on here, Mm -hmm. the Gentiles. So you see the Messiah is going to come to to save the Jew and the Gentile, Mm -hmm. whereas Ruth becomes a savior to who? The Jew, the, yeah, you see, and then Boaz will come and redeem the whole thing. So I think there's just this beautiful picture there. It
0: really is interesting that the Israelites allowed this into the canon. It really is amazing mm-hmm. because it is the opposite of what they stand for. This
1: story is spicy. Yeah, this story is. gets spicy and it gets dicey. You know, because well, maybe
0: we should go into part two and we'll worry about the other thing if we're, oh, we're yeah. feeling good and your baby's asleep. All right, okay, keep yeah, truckin'. let's do
1: it. Okay, all right, folks. How's I knew this doing? one was oh, she's so she's she fussed periodically, periodically, but now she seems to be now she's out. She did like look like eek, 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 and then it would stop it. <laughs> yeah, all right.